Welcome. It's great to have you all here. You know, I hope you're eating healthy. You know, here, here's a healthy eating tip. You know, uh, beware of any dieting advice that recommends eating light. Because eating light is the most sure way to become a black hole. So, you know, have to let that sink in. All right. Well, it's time to turn the time over to someone who always gravitates towards science. It's Dr. John with the Technology Spotlight. If you could change the length of your legs to any length, what would you choose? Just imagine if you had nice long legs, you could reach the top shelf, be on the basketball team. But you know they say that shorter people live longer. So there are compromises, you know, there are compromises. And it's that way with robots too. If you have a really tall robot with really long legs, it can run and walk a lot more efficiently because each step takes it further. But if it's that tall, you know what they say, if you're really tall, then you got a long way to fall, right? And the center of gravity is higher. And so it's a lot easier for that robot to tip over or get in a situation where it's unstable. On the other hand, if you have a shorter robot with shorter legs with a low center of gravity, then it's pretty hard to make it tip over. In fact, some robots can be so flat that they can't tip over. But they can't have that really long stride. And, you know, maybe they can't reach the top shelf. So it's a compromise. And so when they're designing robots, robot designers have to decide, based on these compromises, what does this robot need to do? What, what kind of legs does it need and things like that? Well, I want to show you a new kind of robot that some Norwegian researchers have been working on. Check this out. And see, it's, it's kind of like maybe one of those robots off of Transformers or something. Well, maybe not quite. <laughs> but you can see they have a quadrupod robot that has four legs. And uh, instead of having the challenge of deciding should we make the legs longer or shorter, they made a robot where it can change size. And I want you to look at this picture. I'm going to play it in just a minute. But you'll notice on the top of this robot, it has a little camera. And that camera looks out in front of the robot. And based on the terrain, it decides what kind of legs it wants, what legs would be optimal for the terrain that it's going to walk on. And then it adjusts based on that, and it moves forward. Let's go ahead and run it. See, it walks up. It notices uh, it's a little rocky up there. And right, right about there, oh, let's stop and come down. See, it is kind of like a transformer, right? <laughs> Little transform. And then away we go. Notice the babysitter's helping it. It's a, it's a young robot. <laughs> and um, so you can tell that um, it can adjust depending on its environment. And they did a whole bunch of experiments where they had it walk through different kinds of obstacles and terrain you know, sand and rock and grass and stuff, and uh, did uh, measurements to see how effective it was and how efficient it was. And at the base of this robot, on its feet, it has little pressure sensors. So as it's walking along, it can tell what kind of terrain it's walking in. So when it was time to take the robot outside, where it didn't know for sure what kind of terrain it was going to have, it uses its camera still to look out in front and decide what's going to be best and adjust. And then as it's walking, it keeps adjusting. Let's take a look. 
Uh, the babysitter had to come still. But <laughs> you see how it's coming from the grass, and it notices it's coming to a sidewalk, so it starts adjusting its legs as it keeps walking. And away we go. <laughs> now, you probably notice this robot isn't quite as advanced and fast as something like those Boston Dynamics robots that look like dogs, you know? They have a really amazing balance and can dance and stuff. But the idea is to test the concept of a shape-shifting robot, where its limbs, in this, in this case, change length based on the situation it needs. You know, maybe as it, it's going along and then it wants to play basketball, right, you know, <laughs> for the occasion, whatever the occasion requires. And it's a really neat idea when you think about it because there are a lot of situations where uh, we naturally adapt by the way that we run. For example, if you're running along really fast on the pavement and then you go into the sand, you have to change the way that you're moving or else you fall over or something pretty close. And um, if you could change your shape to fit that environment, then you'd be able to be even more effective. And really, uh, it's only limited in a robot's case by our imagination. If we can imagine a way that we could shape shift the robot that would make it much more efficient and effective, then uh, the, the possibilities are endless, aren't they? That's all the tech we have the time for. <laughs> Now it's time for Breakthrough Moments in Science with Tobias. So question, what do you do when it's windy? Well, I stay at home. <laughs> what would you do if you weren't a boring person? No. <clears throat> I mean, wind is can be a challenging thing uh, and you know we can just go inside or something if the wind's uncomfortable think about trees okay they can't just be like it's pretty windy today i think i'm gonna go inside take a break put my roots up watch some tv <laughs> yeah i caught, caught an episode of how it's made last night it's about pencils it was violent but <laughs> but but trees and wind it turns out trees actually need wind in fact if they didn't have the strength that wind gives them they couldn't hold the fruit that they grow because they have to be strong enough and the wind gets their branches much stronger. So it turns out the thing that's really hard is really good. And sometimes we have to remind ourselves that. And tonight we're going to talk about one of those cases and we're going to talk about a gentleman named Henry Ford. I want to show this picture here. This is a picture of Henry Ford with Thomas Edison. And uh, I just wanted to mention real quick their friendship because Henry Ford and Edison were very close. Um, and in fact, fun story, just real quick on the side, um, Henry Ford made a big museum. They called it Greenfield Village. And in the museum, he decided he wanted to dedicate a section of it to his friend Edison. And so he talked to Edison about actually recreating his famous lab in this museum and he wanted to use actual Edison artifacts. He even moved some building parts of the building, and Edison supported him. In fact, Edison sent a train load of these train cars with dirt from New Jersey. And he told Henry Ford, if you're going to build my lab, it needs to be on New Jersey soil. <laughs> so it's the real deal. <laughs> but so they were very good friends. Well, 
we're going to jump into Henry Ford's story of when he had become super successful with his cars. And the car I'm talking about is mainly the Model A. And the Model A was an incredibly popular car in America. And it, it, families loved this car. And, and some people say it's one of the greatest cars ever just because of its impact and what it did. And of course, we do have to talk about the first hydrogen car ever was a Model A. <laughs> <laughs> but it was in 1929 that the 20 millionth Model A rolled off the factory line. And they it was a big deal. They took it across the country to different states. 20 million Model A's. So really, really successful. Well, it's at about this time that a big competitor brought a new threat into the market. And it was Chevrolet. And they brought out their six-cylinder car. Okay, And here's one of their advertisements. Now, to put it in perspective, the Model A had four cylinders. And so it, in this advertisement, at the very bottom, you can't really see it, it says, a six in the price range of the four. <laughs> jab, jab. Okay? <laughs> so what are we talking about? We're talking about the cylinders of the engine. Okay? And with, with engines, with an internal combustion engine, you have a mechanism where there's basically the, the axle that has connection to the tires to make the tires turn. Okay? That has to get turned. And they have a system with a piston that goes up and down like this in the engine, and the engine pushes it down, it comes back up, pushes it down, and that movement turns down here a rod that's connected to the tires. Okay, so it's this piston going up and down. Well, with that piston, we have, we have an explosion happening. I wanna show you a quick diagram of one here. So this is air coming into the chamber, and the piston's going down, okay? And then when the piston, this is very slow motion, the piston comes back up, compresses that air, and look at that gold thing. That's a spark plug, and right as it gets really high pressure, the spark fires, and there's a tiny bit of fuel in that chamber that lights and pushes the piston down with really strong power. Then the piston comes back up, it pushes that burnt exhaust out of the chamber, and it clears it, gets a new batch of air, pushes again, the piston it gets fired, and it keeps going and going. And so that happens, and it goes faster and faster. Okay, so there's literally tiny explosions going on inside. Well, that is one of the chambers. So that's like a one-cylinder, okay? So the Model A had four of those. It had four of these cylinders that, and the more you have, the more power you have, and also the smoother that power is because it's more spread out. Okay, so that's what's making the, the wheels turn. So all of a sudden, Chevrolet comes out and says, we have a six-cylinder. And it's for the same price, roughly, as the four. Now, the big thing with Ford's uh, cars, at least one of the big things, was that they were really affordable. Before Ford came along, cars were extremely expensive. So it was really only the really, really rich people could afford them. And all of a sudden, he broke it open so that a car for the common man is what he would say. Well. Right, it was, this is like 1930s, so we are going right into the Great Depression time for America. And all of a sudden, things start to slow down, and Chevrolet speeds past Ford in sales, okay, because everyone wants the more powerful car. So it's at this point that Ford calls for a meeting, and he gets his best engineers, and he says, We're going to meet in Thomas Edison's lab. So here's a picture of the lab in his museum. Okay, so they go to Thomas Edison's lab for a secret meeting with Ford. 
And he tells them that we are going to take on Chevrolet by building a new engine. Okay, and you, you think, okay, that's pretty expected. He's got to kind of catch up with the competition here. Well, he said, we're not going to build a six-cylinder. We're going to build an eight-cylinder. And we're going to build it as cheap or cheaper than their six-cylinder. Now, that sounds pretty fun, except how are you going to do that? Because v, uh, engines with six up, up to eight cylinders had already been built, but they were so expensive. You had to get the parts just right, all these pieces to get the chambers fitted perfectly together. It took a lot of labor and was really expensive. So he said, we're going to make a, an engine that has eight cylinders, and we're going to do it in this lab. And no one's going to know except in this lab. I think, you know, it's, it's kind of neat that he did it in Thomas Edison's lab, give him some inspiration or something. But he said, here's the breakthrough that's going to make it work. We are going to cast the entire block of this engine as one block of metal. So we're going to make the whole thing, the base part that all the pieces are going to go into, out of one piece of metal, which if they would, if they would ever figure out a way to do that, the cost would come way down and they could make it very quickly. And his engineer said, okay, well, so here are several reasons why that's impossible. And they kind of explained it to him. And he said, okay, we're, we're gonna do it now. <laughs> and he, he told them to get started, gave him kind of his vision, and then he left. And over the next six months, he started shutting down his factories. Model A factory here shut down, Model A factory here. And people started going without jobs who had been working, and it looked like Ford was gonna go under. Six months later, he comes back and checks in, and he asks, okay, how are we doing? And they said, we have been trying every single angle, and we cannot make this work. Okay, we have to change the game plan here. And he said, well, I still want it. And so they kept working, and they, shut they ended up shutting down 24 of the 36 Model A factories, and he wasn't telling anybody that he was shutting them down to switch to this new engine that he didn't even know if it would exist yet, or at least his engineers didn't. And he started investing millions into getting new equipment put together for the casting. So it's kind of gambling a lot onto this. Well, finally, one year later, he comes back and they still hadn't done it. I wonder if he told me, you know, you're in Edison's lab, come on, okay? Just fill, fill the vibes come or something. Well, they did it in that a little after a year, they finally figured out how to get an engine, use it, and they did, first they did an X shape uh, of the cylinders, and then they did a V shape, and they, they made the V8 Ford engine. And here's a picture of one of those casts. So one piece of metal with all of that intricate detail work built right into it. So that rolls off, and they put the pieces, and they had to, the pieces, had to fit within a thousandth of an inch for this to work. And this is it with the pieces built on top of it. And they put it out, and it would be a, a huge hit. And the VA, if you've seen that symbol on some of those older cars, that was their symbol of the V8 engine. And they whizzed, they had 75 mile per hour um, driving records set. He got letters from all kinds of people. He got a letter from a gangster <laughs> who said, I know I don't do very good things, 
but your car is really nice. <laughs> and Ford said, that's really bad. I'm not going to support that, but you could let the press hear about that. So that got out. <laughs> and it, it exploded. And even today, the V8 is synonymous with power and speed. So, and a quote I, I want to mention from Ford, when everything seems to be going against you, remember that the airplane takes off against the wind and not with it. So when it's windy, you can go be boring in your home or you can start flying. Thank you. Right, and now introducing Roger Billings. She's off. There I go. <laughs> there she goes. Yep. Well, that's a start, isn't it? I like it? that, three, two, one. Okay. Well, we've got a lot to get into today. Okay. This is an exciting day because we're going to challenge your skills. Oh, dear. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you see, the whole idea of a cellist is to make learning really effective. Mm -hmm. We call a cellist a learning accelerator. So it accelerates learning. And to do that, you have to have some new ideas like a V8 engine mm -hmm. or a robot with, no, don't go there on that one. So I would like to try a little object lesson okay. to see how we can make learning more effective. I have a small marble here. Let's just, for the sake of our research tonight, Let's say this marble represents an Acela student. Okay. Okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a student. <laughs> and the idea is for the student to graduate. Yay. This is the graduation <laughs> glass. See how that works? That was Graduated a dropout. Okay, so you get the idea. <clears throat> now, in order... To make a student graduate, you have to use lessons. This is a lesson. You hear that? There's a little pad there. Yeah. yeah. So it, it'll bounce. Got it? Uh -huh. There's a lesson. Here's the student. Here's graduation. Okay. Now the challenge of a cellist, and, and you can represent a cellist, okay? You take the student very carefully with a lot of respect. That's good. Okay. Now what you do is you bounce the student off the lesson and it'll go right in the graduation. Okay. Here she goes. Do you have another student? It's, <laughs> I said the students are precious. <laughs> Be careful. You hit yeah, it right on there. Hmm. Maybe going here. Boop. Mm -hmm. Okay. Is it possible? <laughs> Some people said no. To, to be able to accelerate learning is impossible. But, you know, they said they couldn't make a V8 either. And Henry Ford listened carefully and said, okay, let's do it. Okay, here we go. <laughs> 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 
What do you think? I think I care about the students. <laughs> Not bad. Can we see that again? No. <laughs> All right. Now, I want you to notice how she did that. Oh, okay, how did here I we do go. that? We'll find out. Here we go. Bounce. Oh. You know what? <laughs> this student was almost damaged. <laughs> Try again. Concerning. No, you're doing fine. You're doing fine. I think, okay, let's, I think I let's just take it. a breather. <laughs> Do you get my point? Yeah, it's very hard. Being able to help a student learn at their full potential is a real challenge. It is so difficult that we used a technique called the scientific method. We made the learning process into a science. That means we figured out how to set experiments where we could study it, what works, what doesn't. And <laughs> first thing we learned is every student is different. Every student learns differently, so you have to customize what you're doing to fit the student. And at that point, I'd like to show you <clears throat> a demonstration. Okay. Okay, go ahead. Plus one. Okay. <laughs> Can you solve it? Mm. This is a problem. It's a problem. Okay, so let's let's just simulate a learning process. Okay. And you're the student now. Give me the student back, please. <laughs> yeah, now you're the student. I'll be the teacher. Okay, here we okay. go. We're going to now teach her this particular problem. Go ahead. Plus one. And, and the then, answer and then I don't have an answer. And to you plus see, one. she's struggling because she hasn't learned what else she needs to know. So when I add this problem, she can solve it. So why don't you pick up what you know? Mm -hmm. So what I know. Yeah, just pull that up. Right. Mm -hmm. Now can you do it? Uh huh. What is it? It's six. Check it out. Hooray! Yay, we got she did it. We're on a roll now. Okay, let me give her another problem. <clears throat> Plus seven. She's getting the hang of it. Nine. This is slow motion. Look at that. Yay! You are really on a roll. So you realize that she has a lot of struggle with solving the problem unless she knows the part she's supposed to know. Mm -hmm. And that's how learning is. You have to know the prerequisite to learn the next step. Can we try one more? Okay. <laughs> okay. Plus two. Mm -hmm. See, I, I am stuck. <laughs> I have no number. Can you excuse me for just a minute? I want to show you something. Can we get a close-up on this? Can you read it? There it is. Vectored <laughs> instruction. <clears throat> Thank you. Oh, this is not very vectored. <laughs> Great. My vectored instruction needs some ink. Got me a look at <laughs> Yeah.
hydrogen water. They'll fix anything. They'll fix anything. I hope. <laughs> so that works real good. Substitution. More vectored instruction. <laughs> you see how hard this can get. I know. Okay, we're doing well now. Lots yeah, there are people here that just love to tease me. <laughs> this time it wasn't me. <laughs> Let's recap. <laughs> there we go. Okay. okay, are you ready? Three plus two equals five. Five. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was hard. But it makes a point. When... The student doesn't have the information they need to do the lesson. Yeah. No matter how well we teach the lesson, it doesn't work. And that is a real problem. Mm -hmm. And so one of the amazing things that the Acellus team has done has been to develop vectored instruction, which is a way of finding out when a student doesn't know something and getting them the very instruction they need. I'd like to show you uh, some slides. <clears throat> there I am. So this is the idea behind Acellus. It's a learning accelerator. So it takes where a student is and moves them forward along a path of discovery and learning that helps them achieve success. Now we're having some wonderful success with Acellus. In fact, we're now in 6,500 schools. And if you can see those dots, you can see where there are schools that are using Acellus. And simply stated, they're everywhere. Everywhere. They're everywhere. Mm -hmm. And yet there's a lot more that need to discover Acellus. And I think the will as time goes on. And in those 6,500 schools, there are 3.5 million students using Acellus. Mm -hmm. that, that's a really big number. It is. Okay. Can you uh, give us an example to represent 3.5 million? Well, it depends. Uh, no. <laughs> I was thinking of how many snowflakes are on a snowball. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's it exactly. <laughs> okay, so here's something that just came out of the press last week. Talking about Delhi Unified School District has a graduation rate of 98%, which is the highest in their county. Much of the success they attribute to their use of a cellist. Whoa, here's one. This is LeGrand School District. COVID-related learning loss of children across the nation is not being experienced at our district because of Acellus. We have so many reports wow. of how well Acellus is doing. With Acellus, our students have been able to make gains of two to three years in a single semester. The amount of curriculum covered is astonishing. And that's all pretty amazing. And one of the reasons is this thing called vectored instruction. I want to explain a little bit how it works. So as a student is going through the lessons in a course and they run into something where they're struggling to master a new lesson, it's very often because they don't have the foundation from earlier lessons that the teacher is anticipating they'll have. And so vectored instruction uses technologies to find out what concepts, what pieces they're missing. And this is, is quite a process. 
When we create a lesson, we teach the lesson with the finest teachers we can find. We give them a lot of different takes if they need it or retakes. We edit, we film, we do everything we can to enhance and optimize it. But then we have our vectored instruction team come in and they analyze that lesson and they, they identify every single thing that they can that a student would have to know to succeed in the lesson. And of course, these are things that we hope the students already know. But if they don't, and we find out the students are struggling with this lesson, then it kicks them into vectored instruction. Some of you know about that because it says, hi, welcome to vectored instruction. And what Acellus does then is it goes back and teaches you the things that you need to know to do this lesson things that you may have even been exposed to a year before, or maybe you were moving and you didn't, maybe you missed this lesson, but it goes back and it gets them and recovers that knowledge or, or it teaches the students so they can go forward. If they still can't go forward, then we go back even further and we get into actually a level we call foundation building. This is one of the big reasons why Acellus is very, very effective. Um, I, I really want everyone to realize that's using Acellus that you have an amazing tool. And a lot of effort has gone into making it just right. So if this represents a lesson, in order for her to be able to get the student to go through the lesson and end up in the graduation, she's been practicing all day. <laughs> yeah. It's really hard. Do you think she can do it twice? Mm. She made it once, she missed it once, she's missed it twice. Let's say. give her one more chance and see if she can help this student graduate twice. Here we go. Nope. Come on, one more chance. <laughs> oh, wow. It's hard. It's really hard. <laughs> it's really hard to create lessons that it will is. really work like that. But, if you launch the student correctly, uh -huh. precisely, if you have the lessons oriented just right, then magic happens. I'd like to have you watch this little video. All right, I have a demonstration, like I say, I want to show you. Now you notice that I've got a bunch of students lined up here in my little class. Uh -huh. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna one at a time, bring them into Cellus. Think of this as the Cellus learning system or Cellus lesson. Okay. They're going to encounter that lesson and hopefully our amazing experts and teachers will have crafted the lesson so that it receives them just right mm -hmm. and it'll give them the information they need and then they'll move on to the next step. Right. Would you like to see how it works? Okay, I'm gonna send the first student in, watch. Is amazing. So just imagine <laughs> these are all the lessons that they have to go through and, and these little uh, marbles are the students and they have to come in and learn this one so they can get to that one when they learn that they go to that one and if everything goes exactly right should we try it again then they end I want up graduating okay here we go <laughs> amazing. what do you think Looks kind of easy, 
but literally you have to have every single one of these lessons concocted just right, twisted just right, got the background, doesn't put them to sleep because they know it. It's really fun. Let's try it again. It's not in a straight line. That's just, wow. Let me go again. Okay. Ta-da. <laughs> That's impressive. These students are doing really well. And everybody passed. What that do you is think? so cool. I just had a realization. Oh, yeah? What if one of our competing learning technologies is watching tonight? <laughs> well, what? Well? Well, we want to make sure they get it. We do, yeah, that's true. We do. Maybe we should show them in slow motion. Oh, I think we should. So they'll see exactly how we do. Okay, let's see this in slow motion, please. Here we go. Boom. Oh. There we go. There we go. Watch it. Oh. Do you think they can get it from there? I hope so, because... <laughs> Good luck. You know, the goal is helping every student be successful. Mm -hmm. And education is literally like these little trampolines. It's a springboard into your lives. Yeah. And we're working really hard to make sure that you can do it. But you still have to do your part. It takes effort to learn. And it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it, isn't it? Mm -hmm, it is. It's really neat. <laughs> <laughs> now we're going to have to excuse ourselves for just a minute because we need to do this little freak out thing. Let's show this. Here we go. Okay. This, just in case you didn't get enough. Just a little more. We have a lot of students in the cellus. <laughs> we do. Look at that. They're all using it. <laughs> That's, oh. cool. That's cool. Isn't that fun? Okay, so vectored instruction. Mm -hmm. And you know, mm -hmm. this was a very realistic demonstration. I'm going to really have a long talk with my staff <laughs> in the Edison Museum. <laughs> They can feel it coming. Oh, man, they must have really thought that would be funny. But, you know, <laughs> it actually makes a point because just when you're sure you know how to do it and you're at the top of the optimism curve and then you get on camera and well, it doesn't it work. It just doesn't work. That is life. Yeah, and is. you have to factor in a, a plan and a determination to just decide you're going to succeed. We have worked so hard to make Acellus work, and we still are, and it's fun, but it's so exciting when we start getting reports back from all these schools saying, wow, it's really happening. In many of our wonderful American schools this past year, they've fallen way behind because it's hard to teach in a classroom. It's almost impossible to teach over video chat. 
and yet Acellus is set up and will work really well over the internet, won't it? And a lot of the schools that are using Acellus are reporting that their kids have done really well, that they're going to graduate, the ones that are at that age, and they're going to graduate the grade. And that means such good news to me and I think to many of the students. So you students that are in Acellus Academy, I hope you'll realize what an opportunity you have and you literally can spurt forward. And if these little balls, these little students, can hit all of these lessons and land up in the, in the glass, hmm, then you can too. Now, can you imagine the behind the scenes on this one? Can you imagine? So we're bouncing it here, we see where it hits, and then we put one there. And then we do it, and it doesn't hit there, so we move. We had to get that little holder so that it would always drop the balls perfectly in the same spot. It's amazing. So it would be reproducible. And to try to get it to hit all of those, mm -hmm. it was almost like creating a Cellus courses for real. <laughs> but it mm -hmm. got done. And I just want you to know that if it is that important that we get it perfect for you, please show your gratitude by using it. Now I want to do a few shout-outs, shout okay? okay? Um, one of the students that recently reached out to me, and I don't think he thought I would ever say it, was uh, my friend Zachariah. Hi. He's, oh, oh, he's, yeah, you. Talking <laughs> about you. Um, yeah, we do notice. And we're doing what we're doing because we do care. And he was asking the question about who cares. Well, everybody here does. If they don't, we run them off. <laughs> Actually, we, that's the main thing we look for, is we look for people that care, and that's who we bring into our team. We got some other people we want to shout out to also. Do you want to go ahead and do this? Uh -huh. Okay, who do you want to shout out to? Juliana, spelled with a G. Oh, no, there's not very many like that. <laughs> there's, some, there's a special one, though. Yeah. And Victoria. Now we know who it is, <laughs> don't we? Hi. John and Victoria. Yeah. Yeah. And we'd like to shout out all to everyone. We're going to do something a little different tonight. You know, we call this Science Live. I wanted to call it Science Lively. Yeah. But no, no, no. It's a, little, it's a little too much. So it's just Science Live. Uh -huh. But the idea is sometimes we do things live. And the little ball thing was rehearsed. Uh, uh, but most of what we do, you know, if we goof up, it's goofed up. <laughs> and it's just that, because it's gone. Mm -hmm. The internet grabs, the internet does not give second chances, no, does it? it doesn't. But what I'd like to do for those of you that are with us live, and I know some of you are going to catch this tomorrow and the next day and whatever, but for the ones that are live, I want to I do something. Uh, we have now this feature that allows you to sign in so we know who's here. And it's kind of exciting that there are a lot of you here. So I'm going to ask you to participate in a live event. Okay, and this is how it's going to work. In a minute, Dr. Peje Monet will ask an intelligent question oh, no. <laughs> over the camera. Right? What's the question? <laughs> What's the question? I said intelligent. I know. And what you're to do is to be ready on your computer because there's a place there for you to send a response. 
and we're going to have our response monitor person ready and the first response that clicks into him, I'm going to send a Peugeot poster. Oh boy. A Dr. Peugeot Monet poster. <laughs> this will be something to keep you on your toes. Now, some of you guys are getting ready and excited. Maybe we should save that. I think we should save that. That's too intense. Yeah, save that. Let's start with a Dr. B poster. Yes, let's. Yeah, that's what? not nearly so intense, okay? So here we go. I was tricked into that. I will ask an intelligent question, and if you know the answer, you type it in there, and you're ready to monitor. And the first one you see, I want to know the name. Or you know what would be even better? What? Student ID? Name? What, name? what do you want to give names? me? All right, name. Here we go. And you will get a poster. So here is my semi. Uh, here, <laughs> here's my intelligent question. <clears throat> How many electrons does the hydrogen atom have? The internet's slow tonight. I'm stalling so she can make up her question. Oh boy, we're really doing that. Okay, it's coming, it's coming. We're jammed up with too many responses. <laughs> well, the first one to come through is? Da, da, da. He says that it's one and his name is William Taylor. William Taylor. Number one, <laughs> he's got it right. Hydrogen is number one. Don't ever forget it, okay. So your time's up. My, I, my we mind's need, blank. So he's, <laughs> he's getting a Dr. B poster, okay? And now, for the amazing, magnificent, <laughs> do, does your poster have a butterfly? Uh-huh. No? It does? It does. Should we show it to him? Do we have her poster so we can let them see what they're responding for? I'm giving her more. This is stalling time. Mm -hmm. Okay, what we got? Do we have it? Oh, I can't see the butterfly. No. Okay, it's coming, coming. We're looking. We're searching. Well, I'll just, I'll just tell, I'll just ask my question to them. Well, I think <laughs> they will respond better if they get to see the poster. Is it, is it worth the effort? That's the question. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You're asking me. I would have to probably think. Hmm. Okay, let me ask you a question. Okay. So why is it worth it? <laughs> see, that's not appropriate. <laughs> it's not appropriate. Okay, did we see it? Did we see the poster? Is it coming? It's not coming. It's not hard to find, okay. actually. Okay, it's, it's not honest. hard to find. It's not hard. <laughs> oh, there it is. There it is. Oh, see, it does have a butterfly. It does. Doesn't it? Yes. Okay, so that is the Dr. Peugeot butterfly poster. And if you would like to own that, you need to be the first person to answer this intelligent question, which is... What is my favorite insect? <laughs> I had that plan before um, you did the whole thing. A Japanese beetle? <laughs> okay, so the question is, what is Dr. Peugeot's favorite insect? Do they have to get the answer correct? They have to. Okay, so if you put the wrong answer, you won't get it. Okay, you guys quit raising your hands. <laughs> you have to do this over the internet. Okay, you get a poster. Okay, you get one. And we have a winner. It's a butterfly that's Dr. Miller. 
Jacqueline Miller says that it's butterfly. Is that correct? She got it. She got it. <laughs> Ooh, we're. No wonder everybody's passing the cellars. We got real tough <laughs> questions. Well, I want you to know these questions are going to get tougher. We're going to give her a week to think Thank about. Thank you. It. But you guys like this? Is it kind yeah. of fun to do this? Um, it's really fun to ship stuff out. I really yes. like it. Okay. You have a lot of comments um, saying how grateful that these kids are for us all. It's making a huge difference in their lives. Good. That's exactly what we want. And I want you to respond back to them and tell them, we've only got started. Only it's going to get started. better and better. But it, it was fascinating to me, you know, when some of the schools started using Cellus, new schools because of COVID, and they needed something that would work online, so they started using it. The students in their schools encountered a cellist for the first time, and the schools came back all alarmed. They're going through it so fast. And I said, good. He said, no, no, you don't understand. They're going to be done before the end of the year. I said, good. And he said, well, what do we do? What do we do if they learn all this? stuff before the end of the year. And I said, put them on the next course. <laughs> we can't. That, that's for next year. Or maybe not. <laughs> and so they started doing it. And that's when we explained to them, Acellus is a learning accelerator. They're supposed to be able to get it done quicker. And they can. And they said, but what if, what if they learned it so fast they forget it? And that's the amazing thing. The testing has proven that when you learn in an accelerated mode, you remember it better. They do better at the end of the year in their exams than if they hadn't been going at these accelerated speeds. And so it's wonderful that people can start getting ahead. And the more you get ahead, the better. And if you're able to get your classwork done in less time, then you can work on other classes like CTE courses, career and technical education, you can start learning a career. Mm -hmm. Did you know on a cellist you can learn to put in an air conditioner or be an electrician or be a plumber? Wow. Some of you gals would like to know how to mm -hmm. fix the plumbing, build the plumbing in your house. You know, want to add a new sink in your mm -hmm. closet? <laughs> it's a all lot there. Of closet. <laughs> There are now a whole group of uh, AP courses. Mm -hmm. AP means that if you do well in that course, you can get high school credit and you can also get credit for college. And to think that you can do that right on a cellus, just think, all of this knowledge that you're gathering up will get you hired. Uh, we've been hiring a lot of people at a cellus, and by the way, any of you people listening tonight, we have openings, we've got so much we want to do. But I've been getting a lot of applications, and when I look at the applications and I see that they've taken more courses, I'm impressed. I think they're going to have broader backgrounds. Those are the people I like to hire. So all of these different courses that you can take, the better for your jobs, for your future, for your careers, for your college, and, and so forth. And there's a lot of really, really neat courses that you, you can take. So I would like to see people really accelerate. Now at the elementary level, uh, we're seeing more and more students coming in at three years old, preschoolers. And by the time they hit five, they're reading at a third grade level, many of them. 
And I think that's wonderful. I have to tell you one other little story, uh, kind of as a, as a finishing note to today's session. Uh, I received a telephone call from Germany. Yeah, sprechen Sie Deutsch? Nein, ich habe nicht Deutsch gesprochen. Anyway, so this friend of mine is someone I've known for a while, and he is the manager of one of the divisions of Westdeutsche Landesbank, one of the biggest banks in Germany. And he called me up on the phone. Hello. Hi. I like big shots calling me. <laughs> Hello. And he said, hey, Roger, uh, are you willing to receive an envoy? I know what a convoy is. What's an envoy? <laughs> and I said, you mean like someone come here to see me? And he says, yes. I'm wondering, I would like to introduce an envoy that would like to come and meet you in the States. And I said, well, if you want to send some to me, I'd be glad to meet him. So what's the deal? And he says, well, this is an envoy from the Vatican. Mm. Now, I'm, I'm savvy enough to know the Vatican. That's the Pope. That's, <laughs> whoa, the Vatican. Uh, why would they come see me? Well, I'm in trouble now. What I do? <laughs> says, sure, sure, I'd love to see him. And he says, okay. And we set a time. And sure enough, we had a visitor. And it was this nice group of very professional people. And they said that they're from a division of the Vatican called Oprah. For you Vatican experts, you'll know what that is. They had to explain it to me. I thought Oprah was where these guys sing, you know, <laughs> kites. <Opera>? But anyway, <laughs> no, but it's not. It's, it's part of the Vatican. And they said, we would like to do a major initiative and would like to invite you to support us. Okay, how can I help? He said, well, we're starting a project to, to promote world peace through communication. And we have noticed that you have a course in Acellus called Discover English. And that course will work for a person no matter what their native tongue is. And that's the way it is. We, in Discover English, we teach English as though you don't have to know any particular language. A lot of language courses assume that you know, like if I know German, I can talk to you in German and teach you about English. Or if you know Spanish, and if I could speak Spanish, I could talk to you about English. But in Discover English, we had an interesting problem because our schools were telling us that they needed a English course for people that English would be their second language. And they wanted it taught in German, in Portuguese, and, and there's like 60 languages that the public schools had students that couldn't speak to anybody and they had to teach them English. And I thought, we can't create 60 English courses. So we created one with the idea that it would be like, like new, newborn children learned. They learned just by hearing it. And the rule of Discover English was that the person that's learning has to be able to have the gist, at least, of what we're saying. Like if, if I hold this up and I say, this is a cup. This is a cup. And I say it in English. They know that it's a cup. 
And when they hear me say it, since they know what it is, they go learn the language. So like if this was Portuguese I was trying to teach with the discovery, I'd say, corpo. And you know what the object is, so you can understand it. So anyway, we've been experimenting with this for several years, and it's been quite successful. They said, we would like to be able to offer your Discover English course at all of our churches worldwide. And they asked me if there was a way we could donate those courses to that worthwhile cause. And you know, I'm working on a way to do that. I think it would be wonderful to be able to help people all over the world learn how to communicate. It'd be a really, really awesome thing. And one thing about the Vatican, uh, they have a lot of churches. They have a lot of people that they could reach. And, and they told me that they want to even reach people from other faiths. And I think that's a wonderful thing. So I am now cranking on the idea, how can we make this available as an opportunity that uh, maybe we can cover the expense and, and have it reach a lot of people? This is what really excites me. When we get to do something that would make a difference, and especially if it's something that's gonna make a difference to a lot of people, and the idea of maybe making a difference to people all over the world, it gives me <laughs> chills. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I believe you. <laughs> okay, she would like to ask one more intelligent question. <laughs> what do you think? Do you think we should do it? I do. Do you? I really do. And you'll, you'll sponsor it? In part. In part, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She'll sponsor it. Well, I, uh, I want to also throw out one other little thing. You know, uh, we have a big project going right now, working to get our college program accredited. Mm -hmm. It's a program we've been doing for 35 years, actually 36 years now. And the time's come for it to go through the accreditation process and then we plan to really expand it. We're hoping we can do that within the next year and a half. So uh, we're gonna have a lot more openings for college students. Mm -hmm. And remember our thing at IST, the Institute of Science and Technology, which is our little college, is applied science where you learn how to use the scientific methods, scientific principles and techniques of research to be able to create usable technologies, to take some major invention of some major scientists of a breakthrough and figure out how it can be used by mankind successfully. So any of you that are contemplating going to college sometime soon, I'd like to invite you to consider IST, and we'll be really expanding our enrollment program. By the way, it's a real good idea to enroll in those AP courses so that you're already well down completing your first year before you even arrive. I think that's kind of exciting. And we are planning to make uh, scholarships for IST as prizes at the science fair. And we're, we're going to be looking for students that show a lot of potential in the science, and especially in applied science. And the science fair is a great way to do that because you come up with a question, you study it, you research it, 
you craft experiments, and then you report them. And we're especially going to be looking at how you report them. That's going to give us a clue. And the ones that look like this is going to be a great future for them, those are going to be the ones that we offer the scholarships to. We are almost at the beginning of April. Mm -hmm. And that means the science fair is just four weeks away. So it's a perfect time to dig in and really make some effort. Uh, science fair should be exciting. It should be challenging. I remember as I was doing science fair as a student that there were days I was so discouraged. <laughs> I just knew my project was going to work, and it didn't. And then the next day, I was ready to try something different and something different until finally it does work. And here's a piece of wisdom for you to ponder. And this is a law of science. Okay, it's probably not right to make up laws of science, but I'm going to do it anyway. Here's a, law, a new law of science. And it's like this. Up until... The first time that it works, your experiment doesn't. <laughs> that is true. You can count on it. And the, the thing that has amazed me so many times in my life is after so many things didn't work, I was sure it would never work. And then it did. And so you have to just hang on and persevere. And by the way, if any of you are thinking about making a museum, we'll be glad to ship you some Missouri dirt. <laughs> Our dirt's good. Our dirt is good. Thank you. See you next time.